before to be led into worship and to just worship and love God and then come here to preach is a privilege, amen? And so I uh, count it a blessing to bring to you the word of the Lord this morning. Well, we're going to continue on in our uh, series in the book of Ephesians. So if we can go to Ephesians chapter 5. And um, I know it's probably a little bit more difficult with the alternating of Pastor Werner and myself and just kind of keeping tabs on the concurrent themes and things that we're going through, but I pray the Lord helps us. And so, again, sit, walk and stand is the overarching theme of what we're considering in the epistle of the Ephesians, Paul's letter. And so we've been, we made great emphasis on sit and we've been making for some time now, a few weeks, a great emphasis on walking. And uh, the sequence obviously speaks for itself. You have to learn to sit before you can learn to walk as outlined in the book itself. It sets forth a principle for us to uh, grasp and understand. But walking is imperative, it is important, it is critical, it's crucial because if we are Christians, blood-bought, redeemed, Justified by faith in Jesus Christ, now we are sanctified and set apart. We must live and walk in a manner that is acceptable to the Lord. And so we found in our initial reading of chapter 4 where it becomes very practical in Paul's instructions to the church that, that the aim is to walk worthy before the Lord. That is the motivation behind the way in which we are to live our lives, to walk in worthy before God, in a manner that is acceptable uh, to him, in a manner that is reverent to him, in a manner that uh, esteems and extols his name. And we saw Paul's touching upon the spirit of unity, that uh, to walk in unity, he talks about the unity of the spirit of faith or the faith that we are to grow into, that forms the basis of that unity. We saw as well the need to walk not as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, but rather now as uh, Christians with the mind of Christ and uh, uh, being in the new life that is in Christ, we are to walk in the new man, as it was stated, that is created in God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we're getting this distinctive expression that's coming forth as that we are to live in a manner that is worthy and that finds its expression in righteousness and holiness. And yes, these things are first and fundamental internal, but they must be and they must be observable and seen in the way in which we live. And in this instance, the way we walk. And again, I'm not saying anything that's new, but if we don't walk in a manner that's worthy, we saw briefly how the scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption because we can walk in a manner that is not acceptable. In doing so, we grieve the Holy Spirit because we are the temple of God. To think that our conduct is, uh, is, is grievous to God, that would hurt God, that would offend God. And so, if we love God, that's not what we want to do, obviously. But yet, I'm sure we've all grieved the Spirit and thank God for His grace. But this is the standard, this is the 
this is what we are striving towards in our, in our desire to walk worthy before him. And so the, the, the emphasis is clear. There has to be a distinguishing factor. There has to be a sharp contrast between the Christian and the world. It is black and white. And so this is the distinctives that Paul is expressing and will continue as we see this and we are to identify with that. We must make sure that we're walking in this manner as we see in the scriptures. And so Paul is caught up with the theme of walking and let's read it again in chapter 5 verse 1 and um, actually we'll read up to verse 14 for now. Paul says, Therefore, Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but... Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, again, there is a number of things that Paul is referring to in this particular chapter. We've only referred to, touched in what we've read, we've referred to two of them. But in this chapter there's four aspects that deal with how to walk as a Christian. And so they, uh, 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 to name them, we see that we read walk in love, we've seen walk in light, then it moves on to walking in the wisdom, and then it, Paul gives us some practical instructions about um, our union with Christ, and he talks about practical instructions regarding marriage, and out of that, uh, our union with Christ and Christ and the church, and things that God is accomplishing in and through us. But again, walk is the theme. Walk is the, 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 the catch word that Paul is really emphasising strongly in these, in these chapters. He says in verse 1, Therefore, he's still continuing his thought from the previous um, uh, <coughs> chapter. Obviously, there were no chapters, verses. His, uh, his thought is continuous here. And he says, Therefore, as be imitators of God as dear children, 
See, we are the children of, of God. We are those that are led by, uh, of the Spirit. These are the sons of God. And so as children of God, there is, to be, we, there is a characteristic, or we are to be characterised by various distinctive aspects that relate to our character and the way in which we live and conduct ourselves. Be imitators of God. Now, this word imitate is something that we would do well just to consider for a moment, just to give it some, uh, some context, because the word imitate is, uh, is, is of... Be imitators of God is what Paul says. We know in other writings in Corinthians, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So this word imitate is obviously found throughout the, the scriptures and has significance. But I want to just look at it briefly because the word uh, in the Greek <coughs> is the word mimic. And so the word means to, to be a follower. You know, the very thing that they say when, you, you know, when, you, when you're growing up, they say, you've got to be you. You've got to be an individual. Don't follow the crowd. You know, well, and if you do, somehow that's considered, you know, you're weak or you're this or that. But, you know, we're called to be followers and mimickers of Christ. Actually, that's a commendable thing. The world will look at that and say, oh, you guys, you know, we're just walking in blind faith. We're not blind faith. We've we've actually possessed, amen, what is ours by faith. It's not blind, we see And so we are being imitators of God. And so we are, in a sense, we are mimicking, we are following Jesus. But let me say this, when we understand that aspect of being an imitator of God, it also goes a little bit further for us to understand because this is obviously the premise of discipleship, to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, follow me, follow me. And this is the basis of discipleship, is to follow him. But you see, in being an imitator of God, it has to go much further than just mimicking. Because we can mimic with our words, can't we? We can, we can talk the talk, but do we walk the walk? Okay? You see, because there has to be more substance to this than just mimicking. But that's a good start. And to be a follower of Christ, that's, how, that's part of the learning process. And so, um, so it is important, but we understand that as Christians, uh, we're not just being imitators of Christ, uh, but rather, amen, we are being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. Paul would say to the Galatians that Christ is being formed in you. And so rather than just being an imitation of Christ, there is a formation of Christ, you see? So it transcends that and to see it only as an imitation is to see it in only a shallow sense. But to see it in this aspect is to see it in God's ultimate purpose to have Christ formed in us. And that is the essence of true discipleship and being a follower of Jesus Christ. We are being conformed into his image. And so we're learning to walk the walk. You see, the image of Christ is something that is of of extreme importance because if we're going to understand holiness this morning and and true righteousness that characterises the new man created in Christ Jesus in which now we are new creations in Christ, 
then we must understand and realise that the basis of holiness, first and foremost, and I still, to this day I read it by Sidlow Baxter, in my mind it's the clearest way to have understood it and defined it, holiness is likeness unto God. Think about that. Holiness foundationally, in principle, is a likeness unto God. Be imitators of God. Be like God. Act like God would. Walk like Jesus would walk. And so forth. And so here you have, this is the basic premise of holiness. And so it is out of that we begin to enter into the practical external aspects that are clearly identified here in the scriptures. One of the first things that Paul talks about in verse 2, he says, walk in love. Walk in love. Isn't this the very primary nature of God? Love. God is love. And so we have to learn to love. (laughs) One of the brothers I was speaking with was saying this earlier. It's the challenge that we all have to in, in the Christian life is learn to love. It's one thing to say it, but in practice it's a lot harder and we can all say amen to that because we all fall short. Our actions are not always as they should and they don't always characterise Christ as they should and so, uh, so we grow into that. But uh, walk in love is the first and foremost ex- exhortation from the Apostle through the Spirit of God and uh, he shows us how as Christ has loved us and has given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. And so we understand that the love of God is the agape love of God. It is self-sacrificial. That is love. Jesus said there's no greater love than to lay down your life. He didn't say that love is best expressed by the words we speak, as important as they are, but by the way in which we conduct ourselves, the way in which we live, and that is primarily based on self-sacrifice. This applies in marriage, relationships, and in the church as we serve one another. And so this is why to walk as a Christian, we must learn to walk in love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says, But concerning... Brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You see, it's a challenge. I mean, the church is made up of, look at us, we're sitting here today, we've got all different backgrounds, all different experiences. We all look different, we all have different cultural aspects and we're coming in here and you know what, we're... We can all clash at times, you know what I'm saying? And yet we are all called to learn to love. And for the things that irritate me about you and the things that irritate you about me and all, whatever, that, you know, vice versa, whatever it is, and they're there, let's be honest. Now we just all love you. No, no, love's not just a sentiment. Love now has to be put into action. Love has to be practised. It has to be observable and it has to be seen and, and it's done in a manner that is self-sacrificial so that we begin to please others, not ourselves. 
And God teaches us. Paul says it's, no, it's not just a matter of me telling you to do this, but God will teach you to do this. And really this is what it's about. God teaches us all of this and this, and this comes through the hardships and the trials and tribulations of life because when you begin to plant yourself in a church and get close enough to people, I tell you what, you begin to realise that, that we've all got some problems. And now we have to learn to love, so love has to now come to the surface and rather than you know, my thoughts or speaking my mind or having my will or, or, or all these different things. And Paul would tell us about love, if I have not love, I'm nothing. So love is critically important. We must walk in love. But this love that Paul's talking about is not just in relation to the brethren. This love is a love to God. It's a love that manifests itself for a love of the truth, a love of that which is right, that which is holy, that which is acceptable to God. It is a love that says, I want to please God. It's a love for truth, a love for holiness is what we are identifying when Paul says as well, walk in love. And this is really emphasised by where he goes and that's why we can contextualise it when we go to verse 3 because we begin to see that Paul is talking about now holiness and how to walk a holy life as a Christian. He is shifting to the external aspects of Christian life and Christian living. And he says in verse 3, But fornication... And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. He's saying these things, but in light of that, these things should not even be characterised by you within the church, by any individual, nor should it be tolerated by the church. These things are unacceptable in the sight of God. They are not becoming, they are unfitting. They don't belong in, 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 in the life of, a, of, of the child of God. They don't belong in the church of Christ. Fornication. <coughs> Fornication speaks for itself. It is, uh, deals with the issue of sexual immorality. And we're living in a world that is absolutely saturated, always has been, but we're seeing it more and more in, in, in the way in which it's come out now and it's being talked about as being normal. You know, they said, uh, I was talking to my kids this morning, the, the, the government is, uh, is going to announce, if it wins the election, a Royal Commission into Mental Health. Oh, we really? Like, they just don't get it. You know, if they'd stop putting all this rubbish in the children's heads and call it education, we wouldn't be having the mental health epidemic that we're having now. In actual fact, it's going to get worse. And they can talk about the having more professionals that they want. It's going to get worse because of these very things. And at the age of, of uh, you know, now in uh, Tasmania, when you're born, they're changing the law, you can't put male or female. I mean, and, hmm, why has he got mental problems? Hmm. I know, it's really simple. And they make it so complicated. They just don't, they can't connect the dots. They're blind. But you see, fornication, sexual immorality, they're educating our children how to put condoms on a banana at the, in the year seven. 
they did at Matthew's my school with the kids. You're eight. Sorry, you're eight. Matthew didn't participate. And then they say, hmm, why is everyone sleeping with each other and by year nine? Hmm. You know, oh, look, year 12, look, they're mental basket cases. How's that? It's simple. You see what I'm saying? But see, fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness, Paul says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, not, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. See, our lives are not characterised by these things. We don't live this way. We don't walk as the world walks in these things. And that word covetousness there, it actually doesn't mean the love of money. It actually is referring to the, uh, the lust or desire for, for, for self-gratification covetousness. So it's not in this instance money, it's talking about the satisfying of sexual pleasure. That's the context Paul's writing in here. You know, fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness and covetousness because we're living in a generation that is so motivated by self-indulgence and self-gratification and that is the essence of covetousness. And so there's, a, there's, that, self, there's that lust that has permeated and penetrated their whole being. But for the Christian, we don't live like that. It's not even named amongst us. It's, uh, I mean, that's like voodoo. Do, do, do. You don't do that. <laughs> don't live like that. Don't walk like that. It's not fitting for saints to be conducting themselves in that manner. But understand, things happen, and sadly and unfortunately. But thank God there's redemption in confession and repentance before God. But here we have it. Paul is touching upon these things. Look, from verse 3, which he talks about the way we externally conduct ourselves, now he moves into verse 4 to how we speak, our language, the way we talk. So he says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And so again, he's, he's shifted not just now the way we live, but the way we speak. Because that is important too. And so, um, and he begins to highlight uh, these things. We don't speak with filthiness uh, in, a, in a manner that is shameful, in a manner that is dirty, that is unclean, in the way in which we uh, speak about things. Foolish talking, he says. You know, the interesting, uh, just talking about just being plain stupid. You know, because, you know what, Christians can be stupid. Did you know that? You know the word here, foolish talking, uh, in the Greek means uh, buffoonery. <laughs> Ever said, uh, hey, you know, stop acting like a buffoon. <laughs> and so because we're being silly, foolish, we're, we're speaking in a manner that is not appropriate. It's un- untoward. It's, it's, not, it's not according to Christ. And so we must put away filthiness and foolish talking. Stop being a fool and a buffoon, if I could put it that way, in the way in which we speak. Coarse jesting, it says here, means being in our wittiness, in our sarcasm at times, in the manner in which we can be vulgar and, uh, and make references that are inappropriate and things of that sort, which is easy because if... It, 
look, if you knew half of the things that come into my head, uh, that, uh, that come into my mouth, they're two different things because we've got to learn to control the tongue. But we have to train our minds because we have to think differently. And when we think differently, we speak differently. And we don't allow certain things to come forth from our mouths. And so there's no, there's no uh, filthiness, there's no... Um, uh, foolish talking, there's no coarse jesting, unsavoury jokes, unclean thoughts. This is what Paul's talking about because they're not fitting for saints, are they? See, so, and we, like to, we like to push the borders, let's be honest. Cross the line, you know, push it to the line. It's like, oh, it's funny but not appropriate. So these are areas that we have to consider as our in our walk. It's not fitting. Paul says, but giving of thanks. So again, let, let the fruit of our lips be one that's consistently glorifying God, speaking of God, glorifying God, speaking of his word. Again, that, that's the fruit of our lips. And so, but, but rather giving thanks to God. So he goes on. He says in verse 5, For this you know, He's telling the church, you, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, as he has said previously in verse 3, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So he's stating it clearly. Those in the world that are living in this way, uh, in sexual immorality, in, 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 in all uncleanness and covetousness in which they are fulfilling their sensual lusts. The, in living this way, that is the epitome of sin and Paul says they, is, which is idolatry because it's not worshipping God but rather as it says in Romans they, they, they put aside the worship of the creator so that they can worship the creature. And then worshipping themselves, they begin to live for themselves and they exchange the natural use of, you know, uh, of, uh, of men and women and they burn in their lusts. See how the pattern that we see here? And those that live that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know that that is not the case. They, can, they, they, they cannot, they, they're on their way to hell. Eternal judgment and condemnation. And so Paul makes it clear that uh, we are not to, to live and to walk in this manner. Look at what he says in verse 6. Don't be deceived. Or let no, sorry, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is being poured out upon the world in which we live in. That's why mental, mental health is going to get worse. Because you can't live the way that they're living because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And Paul begins to expound it for us. We're seeing it exactly the same way. The wrath is, is, is what he's touching upon here in that sense. But he says to them, to the Christian, don't you be, don't let them deceive you into thinking that you can live like this, you can walk like this and still think that you can inherit the kingdom of God. That's the way I see it. 
Paul is putting forth to them, can you habitually live and walk in this manner and expect to inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And I think that that, that warning of deception is one that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be deceived, where Paul talks about those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5, uh, where it talks about walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. And then in chapter 6, Paul says, God is not mocked. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And so we can't expect to live and walk like this, like the rest of the world walks, and live habitually in this manner and expect to inherit the kingdom of God. He says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with these empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't be a participant in their lifestyles. Don't participate with them in the way in which they walk. Why? He tells us exactly why. Look at verse 8. Here is the direct contrast. This is the position of the child of God. The, the, that him has, and, uh, has been redeemed of the Lord. Paul says, for you... We're once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So walking in love means to love the things God loves. Walking in love incorporates various aspects that show our love for God. But it's not just walking in love. Now Paul says we have to walk in light because, see, we were once darkness, But now we are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There's the exhortation again. Walk as children of light. (coughs) And this is the challenge that we we all must grapple with. We have to walk in a manner that is is according to the light. Because if we walk in darkness uh, uh, and live according to the darkness, then again... Uh, we are only uh, uh, putting ourselves in, in, in danger, but the exhortation is, is this is our position in Christ. We are in the Lord. We are in Christ Jesus. For you were once darkness, but not anymore. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, we're not the light. Jesus is the light. But Jesus is in us, Amen. And the light is to shine through us, is what Paul's saying. So walk in the light so that the light can be seen. And if we are walking in a manner that is, un, is, is, is not contrasted to the world, that, that sets no standard, that is not obscene to be character, you know, contrastly and def- definitively different, then what kind of a testimony do we have? We've got to walk as children of light. Verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Notice he says, for the fruit of the Spirit. You see, when Christ is in us, when the Holy Spirit is in us, we are to bear fruit to God. Romans chapter 7 talks about this. We bear fruit to God. This is the law of life that is in Christ Jesus. This is the spirit of holiness. This is Christ himself in us. And so we bear the fruit of, in our lives that relates and is characterised by goodness, 
and righteousness and truth. That's what defines us. That's what's observable to those around us when they consider us the way in which we live and conduct ourselves. So isn't it interesting that in verse 10, Paul says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. See, this is going to require some effort from our part, finding out what is acceptable to God. Because, you know, we all, we've all got, you know, maybe, well, you know, you can do this, so that doesn't, my, that, my conscience is clear doing that and, you know, and all that type of stuff. But in some instances, in the manner in which we walk, we have to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. And this word, finding out, in the Greek means to test, to examine, and to discern, and to ultimately approve, or to judge, whether it's right, wrong, unacceptable, or acceptable. Find out what is acceptable to God. That word acceptable means agreeable. What is God? Does God agree with that? Is God accepting of that? Finding out, and if he's not, judge that and discern what's right. Examine yourselves in these areas. Examine these things. Discern what is acceptable and make judgments and order your conduct aright. It's really pretty much here what Paul's telling us to do acceptable to God. That is, which is not just uh, approving of God, but is well-pleasing to God. Because that's, uh, that's why Paul would say that we would walk worthy before the Lord, fully pleasing him. That's the desire. We want to please God. If I walk like that, and I conduct myself like that, that's not pleasing God. And so you see how we have to judge these things. We have to consider these things. Let's go further here, because... Paul says these words in verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. This is important. You see, I think this is where Christians compromise. I think this is where Christians put themselves in danger. The Bible says the fool rages and is self-confident but the wise man fears and runs from evil. You know, because I can handle this. I, can, I know it's not right, but you know, I'm pretty strong. Hmm, let him who stands take heed. Because when we start to think like that and compromise like that, we're already on a slippery slope. But you see, Paul says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That word fellowship really talks about a, to be in agreement with, to really be in union with, to share company with. You see, I know we... I'm not, it's not wrong to have friends that are sinners. I mean, we've got to be a light to the world. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, that's important. But I tell you now, there is a distinctive difference about what is acceptable, not acceptable, and where, felt that, that where we share and where we don't share. I remember when I first... See, that word uh, uh, fellowship means to keep company with. You know, the Bible says uh, evil company corrupts good habits. You can't beat that. Oh, I can handle it. No, you can't. When you start to tolerate things that you know are wrong and you start to compromise and, uh, and you say, well, look, I, I, and you keep silent on these issues and think, well, I'm just going to be a testimony and let my light shine. 
No, 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 no. You're deceiving yourself. Because that's not what the Bible says, as we'll see. And so this issue of keeping company, I remember when I got saved, I became a Christian and all my friends uh, had forsaken me and I had forsaken them because we weren't living the same lifestyle anymore. It was not compatible. But these were my friends. Well, I thought they were anyway. A couple were. A lot of them are just acquaintances. But some, a couple of them I, I maintained contact with and I would go and visit them and, I would, uh, and say hello and whatever else. But you see, they, they still loved their their chuf and their marijuana and you know the way that they were living and I'd be there and all of a sudden they'd go into their practice and I'd like to spend time with them but as soon as they ventured onto that path as a group I said see you guys I'm out of here I didn't sit there and just you know let them to you know to smoke their dope I'd, I, I no that's it I'm out of here you know that's that's wrong and so th- this is why Paul says um don't have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But what does he say? Expose them. Expose them. In other words, speak up. Don't be silent. I know there's a time to be silent, okay? Uh, I understand that. But, you know, sometimes, there's not, and most times, it's not a time to be silent. It's a time to speak up. But if you speak up, then you're going to have to bear the reproach of Christ. But you see, this is exactly what God wants from us because we are light in the Lord. And so the light has to shine through us. And how can the light shine if we're silent? I'm just showing them how to be a Christian by my good works. Sorry. There might be an exception to the rule to that and I accept that. But I'm speaking generally here. Generally, this is the position. You must speak. Expose the unfruitful work of dark. That's wrong. I won't have fellowship with that. If you want to live and go do that, fine. But I'll see you next time. And so you have to live like this because otherwise you begin to compromise and all of a sudden your Christian testimony is, is diminished and the light is not shining as it should. This is exactly what Paul's referring to when he says walk in the light. Sometimes our silence is consent. When we fail to say nothing, when we should say something, and so people can misread that and say, well, you know, okay, you don't want to do it, but you don't mind if I do it. No, I do mind. It's wrong. See how you, you, what I'm saying here? You have to speak up. That word expose in the Greek means to, con, to convict them, to admonish them. It actually means to tell them their fault. Expose it. Don't be silent about it. Say something about it. That's wrong. That's evil. That's wicked. You know, we're discussing certain topics. Uh, if, you know, if you're in your school, in your classroom, amongst whatever, the, and you're hearing it, and you know it's wrong, say something, speak up. You see, because this is the Christian testimony. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, I know that we let our light shine through our good works. That's one aspect. But in this aspect, we must season our speech. Let it be with grace, but season it with salt, and expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Let your light shine in the darkness. And that's going to come by us speaking. Light exposes the darkness. Paul says in verse 11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And there's much. 
but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. So in other words, we are light in the Lord. We were once darkness, but now we're not. We're light. So we have to walk as children of light. And how do you let your light shine? It's not just by your actions and your conduct, that's important, but your words. You must expose the unfruitful works of darkness. You must stand up. Uh, and, uh, and this is what the Holy Spirit uh, baptism is all about, having boldness. Peter was denying Christ. He got baptized with the Holy Ghost and he's telling him uh, whom you crucified uh, and whom we ought to obey, God and man. I'm not going to keep quiet. What was the difference? The Spirit of God in him. If you're timid, that's okay. That's, are you fearful? That's okay. Pray, God, fill me at the Holy Spirit. Give me power, dunamis power to be a witness. And that witness can enable you to stand up and say, you know what, that's wicked. That's wrong. God says this. God says that. And you might lose a few friends on the way. But you know what? God's more concerned about your testimony and the light that shines from you and whether men get saved or... uh, But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So they'll either come to the light, as it says here, or they'll continue in their darkness. We can't control that. But we've got to control our testimony because if we don't walk in the light and we compromise, we are diminishing the testimony of God. That's what's happening. (coughs) Our lives are a testimony to the world and we are to lead them to Christ. That's why in verse 14 it says, Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. He's talking about as we uh, uh, allow the light of God to shine through us and through us standing for truth, for us walking in the light and exposing the darkness, by doing that we are giving opportunity for men to come to the light. And in doing that it says, Awake you who sleep because they are spiritually dull. They're spiritually dead. They're in a spiritual stupor. And so it's up to us to let our light shine and to speak when we ought to speak. And in doing so, we're giving them the opportunity. God can work through us to draw them to himself so that they can come into the light and experience the salvation of the gospel and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ can shine in their hearts. Hallelujah. You see how it works. This is what... Paul's talking about. And so we've got to ask ourselves, well, what is my testimony? Are people seeing Christ in me? Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Am I walking in 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 a manner that is worthy before God, pleasing to God, that when people see my life, they see something distinctively different? What is it about you? They're seeing Christ in you, or so they should. Our lives are a testimony to the world. And by walking in the light, we're giving a clear demonstration of Christ and the gospel to those around us. And this is to impact people. This is how the gospel works in leading people to Jesus. So our testimony has impact. It does, really does. The way we live has impact. People watch us. (laughs) They do. What's the first thing they say? Christians don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) they know exactly what's going on we as Christians we're the one that go into you know 
the compromise and the grey areas. See, we are the light of the world, Jesus said. We are light in the Lord. And if light, and so Jesus said we are the light uh, in the Lord and we are the light of the world, but also he says we are the salt of the earth. And if salt loses its saviour, what good is it? If, 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 if we can't be salt to the world in which we live in, and our testimony and our life is such, and our, our, let our speech be with grace, but season it with salt. You've got to add a little bit of salt. I just want to be loving. Yeah, that's great, love him. But don't disconnect truth from your love. And don't connect, disconnect love from your truth. <laughs> and when you've got the two together, you've got light and salt. Love, and, that, and that's the testimony that we're to have. So this is, again, concluding and bringing it back to context. This is about walking worthy before the Lord. Walking in love. Walking in the light. And so, let me say and conclude this. Sometimes, in the scriptures here, it says, you know, awake you who sleep from the dead and Christ will give you light. He's talking to the sinner who's spiritually dead towards God coming to salvation and to Christ. But you see, sometimes... Uh, Christians can go into a stupor as well. Sometimes Christians have got to be wakened up from their sleep, from their spiritual stupor. Not in the same context as the sinner, but still we can go, we can just cruise in such a way that we have drifted into a, and morphed into something that really not, not what God intended. And that's why Paul in, in, in Romans chapter 13 now I've read this already, but I'm going to read it again to re-emphasise and it's not tedious to be repetitious. But Romans 13:11, And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. He's speaking to the church. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. There it is again. Let us walk, walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lusts. You know, awake. Paul says, awake, in verse 11. Awake, out of sleep. I don't know, have you, have you been so tired? I've, I have, it happens to me a lot. You get so tired in that when you wake up, you're so tired that you're in a state of stupor. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you get up and you're just like, hey, the sun's shining, life is good. Others, it's like, <laughs> And you're in a state of stupor. And you have to be aroused from that sleepiness. And the Christ, that's what Paul's saying, awake you who sleep. Christians can be sleep, sleepy Christians. And it was Keith Green who said, the, the world is sleeping in the dark, but the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And so we need to awake out of our, our sleep. We need to arouse and become sh- sober in our mind, sharp in our mind and, uh, uh, and sober-minded so that we are clear and distinctive. And in, when we walk in that manner, when we walk with that decisiveness, when we walk with that truth, in that truth, uh, and our lives are, uh, are lined up and our words are associated with that, then the power of our testimony is sharpened and God can work in and through us.
True? That's what it's about. Walk in love and walk in light so that the sinner can come to Christ and be saved. Walk in holiness because we love the Lord. So let us examine ourselves this morning as we close in a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Pierces, Lord. God, when we hear your word, God, each of us come under scrutiny. Each of us come under the light. And sometimes there are things in our lives that are exposed. But you're doing that, Lord, to bring to surface those things that are unacceptable in your sight, that we would repent, that we would correct, that we would, Lord, adjust ourselves in a manner that is necessary. Lord, finding out what is acceptable, discerning, allowing uh, uh, and judging what is right and then walking in a manner that is acceptable and pleasing in your sight. So I pray, Lord, in light of the message today, continue to minister to every heart. Lord, as we desire to walk in holiness, in love, in the light, and walk worthy before you in Jesus' name. Amen.